0: Ladies and gentlemen, warning, spoilers ahead. Form 4's right turn, how we spend the money we yeah. earn. Oh, 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 it's a lovely war. Good evening, and welcome to television. G'day. Hello. Oh. Hello. Hey. Hey. Oh. G'day,
1: I'm a fellow I'm a Wayne Stellini, and welcome to Threadwatch, where we view and review films, everything from the mainstream to the obscure.
0: Wayne, yes. What have you been watching since since our last podcast? Our last podcast.
1: Yeah, so I've actually revisited the Planet of the Apes films. Ah, very nice. I'm talking original franchise. Ooh. Yeah, so the ones from the 70s. There's five of those bad boys. Entertaining,
0: popcorn fun. Very nice. Yeah, very nice. Yeah. How about indeed. yourself? Philip? Um, to be honest, I haven't been watching a lot. You're a I've, bad cinephile. I've been a very cinephile. bad cinephile. Yep. Yeah. Yeah not watched anything of interest. Well, that's okay. I've seen five (laughs) films for both of us then. Yes, there you go. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) And speaking of films, what's today's film? Today, we are reviewing the musical spectacular, Oh, What a Lovely War. Tell
1: us about it, Janet.
0: (laughs) The film is based on the 1963 stage musical, Oh, What a Lovely War, by Joan Littlewood. It is the war to end all wars. Well, not quite. For with the ricochet of one bullet, the entire course of human history was changed forever. Directed by Academy Award winner Richard Attenborough, Oh What a Lovely War combines surrealism with factual events. It documents and juxtaposes humour with tragedy to bring you the first world war like it's never been seen before. Well, Philip, I can see why you enjoyed Oh,
1: What a Lovely War (laughs) and why you recommended it to me, especially when bringing to attention the surrealism of it. Mm. And the surrealism element of the film unsettled me a little bit Mm -hmm. at first. We begin the film in this, I want to say, purgatory type landscape, but it is painted white, quite heavenly so, Mm -hmm. I suppose, and stripped quite bare with a few fancy light fittings. And I think this is a bit of an homage, a tribute to the original stage production that it is based on. It feels like you're watching a theatrical piece at the beginning, which by no means is a bad thing. A different medium, Mm. but I think it's interesting to see stage production in a film, especially one that's quite as large scale as this. So I wasn't too sure how I would find myself fitting into this film as an audience member and adjusting to it. And admittedly, the sequences in the carnival, World War One carnival, and then flashing to real battlefield, they put me off sometimes. Okay, Yep. But I did discover a warmth to it. Yeah. I found that it was obviously intentional. Directors don't put things in by accident. So I found that when I accepted these two different worlds, I guess, coexisting, that the film's critique of warfare is even stronger. Yeah. That was accepted by me as an audience member. Early on, and when I say early on, probably about forty-five minutes to an hour in it, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that it ends up being the film's strength. Some of the best moments for me happen off the battlefield. So, for example, when they're doing the recruitment song and dance, yeah, and we have the absolutely incredible Maggie Smith leading mm. the charge. That was my favorite part of the film. Actually, was her screen time, and also at the fairground or carnival is when you have the suffragettes protesting. Yeah, I thought that was absolutely a phenomenal sequence yeah and I like that there is attention to women's role in the war effort yes and naturally the suffragettes want peace and that is still in itself a very valid and important contribution to the war effort mm to end war, mm. is the greatest thing you can do for a war effort, I think. Most mm, certainly, yes. And so I love those elements. In saying that, I suppose I found the women in this film more interesting than the men. And I feel that when you have such a huge ensemble, Britain's finest of yes, fine talents yes. are involved here. The cast is huge. And the director, Richard Attenborough, is so skillful at handling large casts.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, he would go on to do it in 1982 with Gandhi yeah with so many extras, and he is a master storyteller, and we mm. can see this here. One of the things I think you always risk, though, with an ensemble is that you can't really attach yourself to a particular character, to a particular yeah. protagonist or hero. So I didn't find myself being attached yep. to any of the particular heroes mm-hmm. or soldiers. Mm-hmm. On the battlefield, I got closer to these characters, really cared for them. Mm. And there was that beautiful symbolism of the red poppy. Yeah. yeah. You know, which is heartbreaking when you see a red poppy being given to one of these characters. But it was sometimes hard to connect with such a large ensemble. I do feel, though, that there were moments where you could really warm up to the spirit of these characters. Yes, yes. And besides Maggie Smith's performance and the suffragette's protest, my other favourite moment was on the battlefield on Christmas morning when we've got, you know, the Allied forces talking to the German. And I know that that's a real thing that happened. Mm, mm. And that was absolutely beautiful to see. And I feel that if the film was essentially just those 10 minutes, that's the message that the director wants to convey. So I love that the director, Richard Attenborough, conveyed that and took his time with that sequence in between the trenches. It's a beautiful, Mm, mm. beautiful thing. That's my overall impression of the film. And I know clearly you're a big fan of it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's interesting a lot of the points that you've made because, for example, my understanding is One of the reasons they used characters... So, we follow the Smith family, and they've got all these Smiths. uh, Freddie Smith, Grandpa Smith, Bertie Smith, George Smith, etc, etc. And one of the reasons they did that was to actually put you off and not really be able to follow the characters. They did that intentionally to try to show the vastness of the war, and whilst you may every now and then go, oh, I think that's that guy, and I'll agree with you, as an audience member, it does sort of put you off a little bit, especially with modern film viewing. Yes, it keeps you at distance. I think. It keeps you at distance, but I think it's meant to to sort of show the vastness and greatness of the war. And another point you raised was jumping to uh, between the realism and the heightened reality place. That there was, like, you called it purgatory.
1: Yeah, I thought that at first that it was almost like a purgatory or limbo.
0: Yeah, what it's really meant to be, and it is very close, but it's meant to be the higher realm that these generals, etc., lived in. Yes. They didn't live in the real world. They lived in this fantasy realm of intrigue is more important than thousands of men dying that... You know, the scoreboard shows all these deaths, zero ground taken. Yes, and that
1: makes absolute sense, Philip, especially when you put it that way. And if we go on to the symbolism of an afterlife or a higher order, mm. it then really does reflect them in a heavenly state. Yes, in yes. In this utopian Peaceful state. Mm. Um, As we'd mentioned, it's all white and there's beautiful chandeliers hanging. And, you know, the war, I guess, doesn't officially end until we get one soldier breaking into it. Yes. At the very end. One of the things I do love is at the beginning, when it's decided, yes, let's all have a war. Yeah. That the world map on the floor, which is a beautiful rug, gets rolled up yeah. because we need to put these borders and this peaceful existence aside Mm. because when we unroll that carpet again, unroll that map, it will look different. It
0: will look different, that's it. So I thought that was absolutely beautiful symbolism Mm. and that was one of the visual highlights for me. Nice. Oh, certainly, certainly. I almost would have liked to have seen when they were sitting down to do the peace accords or the armistice to see them rolling the map back out with a new borders defined. Yes, and perhaps... Closing in on Germany. Yeah, well that's it. Yeah, yeah. 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 So one of the Things with this movie was there was a little bit of controversy tied to it. Okay. Nothing huge and major, but, for example, there was a lot of critics, especially one specifically, Pauline Kelly, noted that the treatment of the numbers of deaths up on the scoreboard, yeah. because it was sort of flashed there, it sort of diminished the emphasis that thousands upon hundreds of thousands of people died. It was almost trivializing it and I know what she meant. she wanted to see something that was more poignant or even if we had them don't fleetingly show it show it yes. let it sink in however I feel that it worked for the generals because at no point they had this thing in their faces but they still turn around and go you know with minimal casualties Yeah,
1: I absolutely agree with you, Philip. And I do understand and appreciate Pauline's point there. However, I feel that making it a simple flash of the scoreboard, we don't get the opportunity to have the loss of life Mm. sink in. And I think that that's a good thing. Yeah. Because what it then does is when we go to the final reel, yes, and we have this beautiful field of poppies, and then we have this extraordinary field of white crosses mm. that is the impact and I feel like drawing in on numbers and statistics which are evident throughout the film yeah as you said there is discussion there is showing the scoreboard we see poppies being distributed but it would weaken the impact yeah of that final, yeah. of that final shot
0: oh yeah. most certainly yeah. actually an interesting thing was that Attenborough claims that there were 16,000 white crosses okay Which, if you put that number there, that sounds like a lot. Yes. But then, if you really think about it even further, that is less than the amount of deaths in any of the battles, major battles, in the First World War. To even have that, and then extrapolate out, that's, oh, it's huge. Yeah, so that... And I don't feel there's any way that you could have, visually or symbolically, really given those numbers the full-on justice that I think uh, Pauline was looking for. So I think that final shot was amazingly done. I agree. And again, we become so numb to statistics Mm. and
1: numbers, especially when we're in a state of warfare. Yes, yes. Because we're not seeing faces, but again, seeing a flower cross, across yeah. that's one human being let's zoom out it's five let's zoom out it's 50 let's mm. zoom out it's a thousand mm. it seems to never end mm. and isn't that what war is it is a never-ending casualty rate. Yeah, yeah. It's a never-ending knock-on effect of Mm. politics.
0: And and that's it. Like, you know, it says officially there were 16,000, but when you look at the shot, the crosses go off the screen. So as far as we're concerned, it's just going to keep going.
1: Yes, and again, I think that is the point. That's the point, exactly, exactly. So I think, whilst, you know, we can appreciate Pauline's point of view, I think she's missed the point. Yes, yes. (laughs)
0: So yeah, so another controversy that uh, befell the show was that Joan Littlewood and previous contributors to the pathos that was this show didn't actually like how he used... So in the original stage show, they wore pyro clown costumes and very minimalistic sets, etc. Whereas Richard Attenborough wanted to use, and the set designers, costume designers, etc. wanted to use realistic looking stuff to really hit home on that juxtaposition. These other people, including Joan, didn't like that because she essentially said, well A, you're taken away from my original view, and B, the reason they're in clown costumes is to show that it's all it's all circus, it's all a game, it's all, uh, you know, and it's an anti-war piece. Putting them in uniform it takes away from the anti-war, but I honestly do not think so. I think putting them in uniform drives home that this was real. It was such a farce. You had these people in uniforms who were officers and stuff who are now being shown in this heavenly other and on this, you know, boardwalk of uh, uh, World War I, the carnival, versus these poor wretches who were actually in the trenches and actually dying, facing, you know, the horrors of war. That's right, and Adamborough
1: emphasises this volley of war mm. in his own way. So instead of using clown costumes, again, he really does emphasise the carnival setting. So when all of these smiths are volunteering for the war, they get one admission ticket, mm. like they're going to this fantastic show. One of the first battles we see, I believe the first battle, yep. is with all of these men being shot off a carousel, yep. and that really hits home. I think. Yep. You know, once the carousel starts to slow down because everyone's been shot off their horses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's shut, it's closed, it's gone. It's a violent imagery, mm. especially because it is juxtaposed to something so fun and innocent. Yeah, yeah. And especially an activity that generally children yeah. and teenagers
0: interact with. Yeah, most certainly. Not, yeah. Not... It's that death of that innocence. Yes, which again, war is. So. Exactly. And it's juxtaposed with a very upbeat propaganda song, which drives me into my. My next point I'd like to talk about, yeah. um, the songs yes. of this. Yeah, Being a musical, the songs are important. Absolutely vital. We go from very upbeat, hurrah songs to ending with very depressing, very dark, almost dark humor, or dark songs. One of the first songs that is sung is a song called Belgium puts the Kibosh on the Kaiser, which is about Germany invading Luxembourg, invading Belgium, etc. And the Belgians famously held them off. Now, not in that first battle that we see, but then they rallied and then held the German army off long enough for... Britain to mobilise, for France to mobilise, to everyone to get up there, because no one expected them to go through neutral Belgium. Yeah. They thought they'd uh, play fair to the rules of war. That's what this song plays, and it's really uplifting. You know, Belgium put the on the car, and da 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 And then we hear the song wind down as if a uh, 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 clockwork uh, music box has just died. Yes. As we turn around and see the horror that you were talking about, as we see that these men in blue and red uniforms have obviously been blown, uh, ripped to shreds by a machine gun. Yes. It's a striking image Mm, mm. and
1: done so beautifully. yeah. Yeah. And it's not carried out a lot throughout the rest of the film. Yeah. I feel, I think as the film goes, the distinction between the surreal and the real is a lot clearer Yeah, yeah. But again, I feel like as an audience member who didn't know anything about this movie to begin with, or the musical or any of the songs, so really came with fresh open eyes, I think the way that the surreal and the real work together or against each other, if you will, at the beginning of the film allows you to settle in to that clearer distinction
0: as we go on. Most certainly. And as I said, it starts to get into darker music. We have hymns. So I do feel a bit of the show, and I'll say more the musical that as I was written originally, yeah. plays a little bit into the mistake writers make of, let me show you how much I know. Okay. So there's a scene with the churches and all that, with the church sermon. Oh, yes, yes. And it's got all the hymns that were converted into, you know, there were the soldiers had a lot of hymns that they then sung as their own little dirty ditties. Yes. The famous one is, when this lousy war is over, is what a friend we have in Jesus. Yes. But they had a lot of them just there, and I feel that was less of a teaching about the war or showing about the war, anything like that, and more of a, hey, look, I know that all these hymns were turned into... Uh, Dirty ditties, I'm going to put them all here. What do you think of me? Sort of thing. And that's a mistake I feel a lot of historical writers can do. They can try to brag and show off how much they know of a topic. And then, of course, there's the end song, which is a parody of uh, They Never Believed Us. They'll Never Believe Us, which is, the song goes, We'll Never Tell Them, which sadly was an attitude a lot of soldiers had. We won't talk about the war because it was so horrific and these people will never understand. But it's not just that. They were told by their generals once they got back. By the way, don't talk about it because propaganda is still going to be high. We don't want to be shown as liars all this sort of cover-up
1: stuff. And that's quite a powerful message Mm. in itself because you're right, we've spent all this time throughout the film being exposed to propaganda. Let's fight the bad guys. Let's keep our land safe, protected. You're fighting for our country. And every nation involved in a war effort does this. Yeah. And we now don't want to reveal too much about what the war is really like. Yeah. In fact, the public in this film, so when they're at the carnival, first get exposed to this Mm -hmm. feel really challenged by it Mm. and it is again it is through the suffragettes who do it and generally speaking it's men who try to shut them down Yes, yes. By memory, it's only one woman who interrupts the suffragettes. I think so, yeah. And that's because her her boy was at the front. Yes, Um, because it's like it's an insult to say, no, he's defending
0: our country. Don't diminish his effort by saying he needs to come home. On the DVD commentary, because to be honest, that's a scene for me that's always been very confusing for me personally. The suffragette protest. The suffragette protest. Okay. Because it always sort of confused me where people sat. So I sat and listened to the DVD commentary, and essentially what it... It is, and it's what you're saying, that the suffragette comes along and she's talking about anti-war and stop the war and all that. And all these people that have just been fed propaganda are saying, no, you're a traitor, you're a pacifist. Yes. You know, one of the guys says, you're a traitor. Pacifism is traitorism. Yes. And on the DVD commentary, what it actually explains is that, yes, you've got this whole for the war, anti-war she then marches up and she's marching down the road. She's marching to Parliament with this rabble. Yes. Who break into Britannia Rules the Waves. This misguided patriotism. Yes. Because on one hand, she thinks she's marching down with people that agree with her. <laughs> yes. But all these people are against her, but don't realize that she's against what they're Four. So you've got this whole confusion thing. I guess it's a muddled patriotism. That's it. We're
1: all patriotic, yeah, but we have a different idea of what patriotism is. That's it.
0: Yeah. We all, and the, that's the thing. She's spouting, we want the award to end, and so does everybody else. Yes. But they don't want it to end the way she's talking about, because they wouldn't have won. That's right. If it's going to end, it's going to end with us being victorious. That's it. Yes. That's it. And another thing that I want to point out here is the introductions of the Americans. Yes. Now, they come in at like the last ten, five to ten minutes of the film, Yeah. Uh, which ironically is sort of what happened in the war. That's right. And they come in with all this pomp and ceremony and wag, flag waving and all this beautiful stuff. And then all he does is come up, turn the map and everything continues as normal. <laughs> The next scene we see is just another battle scene. Yes. And that, I thought, was amazing because it's not trying to say, you know, all oh, the Americans changed the war and all that. It's trying to show that, yeah, they came in and they came in at the right time. Yes. And they came in fresh and willing to go, but they didn't change anything. They were contributors. They were contributors, most certainly. Yes. Like, coming into the history nerds with us for a second, yes. as you probably know, the Americans really just came in at the right time because the Russians had just left. Yes. (laughs) So they filled a gap. Yes. You know, if the Russians had still been there, maybe they could have really made a difference and marched on Berlin, but they just ended up filling a gap. Yes. I mean, and the Americans didn't really want to be involved.
1: Oh, most certainly. In Europe. But I do love the way they enter, just as you've said, Philip, because do Americans do anything quietly? (laughs) That's it, that's it, that's it. (laughs) Um, So it is a really beautiful moment. Most certainly. And the song they sing is just incredible to, oh, you know, yeah. over there, the Yanks are coming. That's
0: it. But again, even that is a slight variation because the actual lyrics yes. at the end go, we're going over, we're coming over, yeah. and we won't come back till it's over, over there. Oh, okay. They sing, and again, it shows some of the cynicism at, that we're at at this point in the movie. Yes. We're going over, we're coming over, and we won't come back, we'll be buried over there. Wow. And even with this optimism, they chose to use the cynical line, which I think is amazing. And once again, it
1: just adds another layer of that anti-war sentiment that the film presents. Mm. Now, the film itself, yes, is a musical, and you expect musicals to be cheerful. (laughs) Well... No, exactly. Most musicals, exactly. I guess. Exactly, exactly. To be cheerful. This is anything but cheerful. Yeah. As much as a lot of the songs are entertaining, one of the things that I think this film succeeds in is the music and the musical numbers are where they need to be. Yes. So sometimes you can have musicals who seem to have song and dance routines just for the sake of having them.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: I feel like all of the songs are there because they're significant to the storyline, to the narrative, to the plot. So I was... Th- Thoroughly entertained with the music yes, in yes. this one. I don't feel like, as in the case with some Disney films, the music pulls back the narrative or drags yes, it down. Yes, I think pushes it forward to the point that if I have a critique about the film or a criticism, yep. it is that they probably should have slimmed down on some of the dialogue moments.
0: Oh, yeah. No, I get you. Because
1: I think it worked best when it was representing the story in musical form.
0: Yeah, you'd almost prefer it as an opera.
1: Yes. Essentially, yeah. Like a yeah, yeah. um, like Vita. Um, yes, the yes, yes. film yes. adaptation of a Vita. Yes. Stuck to the original presentation and it was just all song awesome all the way through. Yep, no, I could yeah. see
0: that. And again, for me, it was also the reinterpretation of songs. For example, there's a song called Comrades. Comrades, comrades, ever since we were boys. Now, the change is they say there ever since they were boys, sorry. Yes. Um, and it's referring to Sir Douglas Haig and Sir John French, two peers and, quote-unquote, to the public friends who hated each other's guts. And <laughs> it was, again, this sort of cynical, uh, satirical look at these two men of power. And, again, using a song that was initially written for soldiers Sing after the war for soldiers to sing in pubs and say we were comrades we were you know we were men in arms and here it's being used for to the generals you know who are anything but
1: yeah so again that manipulation of text Mm. to, once again, reiterate one of the themes, the key theme
0: Mm. of the film,
1: is that war is not this wonderful experience. That's it. Camaraderie, yes, you need to, to survive, but it's not the sort of camaraderie that I think we strive for. That's it, yeah. yeah.
0: Now, we've mentioned a few times, and I think this is actually the elephant in the room for this movie, and it does go back to what I was talking about with controversies, but I wanted to leave it for a bit later. Okay. One of the big controversies people had when this first came out was actually it's anti-war rhetoric because a lot of historians say and this will lead into what i want as my final point but a lot of historians didn't like how it was an anti-war piece using wartime songs trying to pass itself off as a this is what happened in the war okay so it's like that idea it's like the the idea of the history wars etc the various versions of the history wars. One of the issues that a lot of historians had was that the show is almost trying to be a factual this is what happened in the war whilst pushing a 1969 agenda, anti-war
1: agenda. Yes, because, you know, it was released... In the midst of the Vietnam War mm, mm. which, as we know, was the first real experiences for everyday people. Yeah. To experience the war through television. Yeah. So people had an anti war sentiment or were about to get one. Yes. If they yes. didn't already. Most certainly. And we've got this anti war film reiterating these
0: sentiments. Yes, yeah. most most definitely. But that then brings to the last topic I wanna to touch on, accuracy. Right. So, whilst the controversy has been about whether or not the sentiments in the movie were correct, one of the things it's always praised for is its accuracy on political agendas, The policies behind the scenes, the big players of the war, the the numbers they use, all this is actually very accurate. Same with a lot of uniforms, including specifically using Australian uniforms for Australian soldiers, which isn't often seen. No. Um, Especially when it would have been easy just to throw a slap hat on someone wearing a Tommy uniform. Yes, you don't always expect the best of accuracy with uh, foreign films. Exactly, exactly. But again, it it was accurate to its numbers. It was accurate to, even if you're pushing the agenda, it was still accurate to documents out of the time. So they took diaries of officers who were saying, I think this attrition is a ridiculous idea. It took Haig's actual diaries that showed how pompous he was. Yes. The only issue is, it comes down to back then, the pompousness of him was seen As upper class bravado and a good thing at the time. And I think
1: when films go out of the way to be accurate, Mm. it's obviously a a good thing. But what people can tend to forget, especially if they are passionate about a subject or Mm. are an expert in it, it is a film. Yes. Creative license is always going to be there. And that's why these particular creatives make films, not documentaries. Yes, yes. And again... Accuracy, especially when you're representing real-life events or people, accuracy is commendable and I think should be aspired to. But I don't think that creative license should ever be
0: seen as a bad thing. No, certainly. No, certainly. So, Wayne. Yes, Philip. How would you rate this? How, what's your final thoughts? Yeah. So my final thought for Oh What a
1: Lovely War <laughs> is what a lovely movie. <laughs> Look, it isn't for me the most perfect of musicals or perfect historical dramas, but I found that it was quite engaging. I liked that it made me think that I had to pay attention to understand the metaphors and the symbolism. And admittedly, I probably don't understand them all. So I think a film that also invites you to revisit it, mm-hmm. to explore it further, mm-hmm. is always a good thing, because that is clever filmmaking. Most certainly. It's like returning to a book that you enjoy. As I've said, the musical numbers are absolutely outstanding. I can't wait to listen to the soundtrack again. And it was lovely to see some familiar faces on screen being really captivating. The film is oh, yeah. aesthetically beautiful. Adam brown knows how to direct. Beautiful cinematography too. Overall, I'd give this three and a
0: half stars. Beautiful. This is probably one of my favourite movies of all time. Definitely falls in my top ten, if not top five. So I would say a good five out of five. I can look past the controversies. I can look past perceived issues of its agenda. Yes. And I love the music. I love how they've used everything the actual music and the actual songs that the soldiers sung in the trenches to portray their war so yeah definitely one of my all-time favorite movies but with that all said Wayne, what have you got in store for us next week well phil thank you for showing me one of your all-time favorite movies
1: so i'm going to do the same Ah. next time so this has to be my all-time favorite Sports movie. Ooh. Change of pace. Sports. Yes. But to now contradict myself. The twist. I don't see it as a sports movie. Ah, okay, cool. Which is probably why I love it so much. Yep, (laughs) yep. For me, it is one of the greatest love stories Mm -hmm. ever put to celluloid. And one of the greatest love stories specifically written for a male audience.
0: Ah, so, yeah, sport, get it, going. <laughs>
1: so next time, we're going to have a look at the 1976 masterpiece, Rocky.
0: Wow. i <laughs> 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 not heard it
1: called that before ever. That's beautiful. Yes, and I look forward to hearing what you think about it. And also, you're probably looking forward to hearing me justify oh, why yes. it. Oh, yes, makes sense. Oh,
0: I was really sure you don't say <laughs> I did!
1: Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's probably looking forward, I hope, yeah. to see why I think it is the one of the greatest love stories ever
0: put to film. Beautiful, right. Beautiful. Well, with that all said and done, I've been a Philip Hunting.
1: And I've been a Wayne Stellini. And, and you've, you've just, just experienced, experienced Fred Watch,
0: Watch. Cue music. Cut that out,